Today we begin the third week in Advent. This our time of waiting and preparation. And our theme for this morning is reconciliation. Following reflection in Advent 1 and repentance last week in Advent 2. Reconciliation. Synonyms are satisfaction. Making up, bring together. Its root, reconcile, is synonymous with reunite, heal, harmonize, adjust, adapt, compromise, bring into line, assimilate, accommodate, to fit or to suit. Webster's defines reconcile from the Latin reconciliare as to restore friendship or harmony, to settle or resolve differences, to make consistent or congruous, as in to reconcile an ideal with reality. Theologically, reconciliation is the end of estrangement between a human and God as a result of the process of atonement, more specifically involving contrition, confession, absolution, followed by penance. Reconciliation, to reconcile something, involves some degree, a great degree, of discomfort and pain as two things are cut and reformed to align with, to fit each other. Reconciliation is a scary process this third Sunday in Advent. John the Baptist, preaching from his perch in the wilderness, speaks of a scary process too. His greeting with, you brood of vipers, is hardly a generous welcome. And he follows with, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. When asked to define these fruits worthy of repentance, he responds with a preference for the poor and the oppressed. If you have two coats, share one with someone who has none. The same for anyone who has enough food. To scoundrels like tax collectors, he commands them to stop cheating. To soldiers, to stop stealing. To all of them, to live ethically. And the reading ends with, so so, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. What exactly was that good news, that gospel? A baptism with Holy Spirit and fire, bearing a winnowing fork that will store the wheat but burn the chaff in unquenchable fire. So if that's the good news, I'd hate to hear John's bad news. Yet the people wanted to call him a Messiah. Clearly John speaks to a topsy-turvy time when apocalypse is good news. It's so easy to forget that Advent is also a time of tribulation, or at least a time to prepare for a great challenge. Two weeks ago in first Advent, we were promised signs in the sun and moon and the stars in the earth, and distress among the nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. That roaring of the sea and the waves speaks to chaos, the idea of things utterly out of control. We've had what I call a stormy start to Advent here at St. Peter's. More than any time in recent memory, folks are getting incredibly upset at relatively small things. I wonder if in our own confused state of the pandemic, the Omicron variant, online outrage, a near insurrection, a time of Russian troops gathering at the Ukraine border, aspiring inflation here at home, and a growing sense of economic insecurity, I wonder if the stormy start here at St. Peter's is in our own distressed response to the confusion caused by the roaring of the sea and the waves of the sense of impending 
chaos. And it makes sense that in this confused state, we might want to control something, anything. Suddenly we find ourselves reacting violently to a change in music during Advent, or incensed at the idea of incense during Christmas service, or the decorations in the lobby, or at a perceived personal slight, or a change in the Esther schedule. Uh, No matter how real these frustrations may seem in the moment, and I want to hear about it, but I also urge you to consider that they might be expressions of distress at the roaring of the sea and of the waves, distress at life seemingly spinning out of control. So we can't do much about the impending chaos, so we try to change to control those things that we think we can. Church, school, home, the workplace, those aren't what John the Baptist calls the fruits worthy of repentance. The offering of the second coat, the extra food, the call to live ethically, those fruits are outside the church, not inside these four walls. And I wonder what it might be, instead of focusing on changing each other, or of reaching back to some imagined past or reliably pastoral person, that instead we focus on changing Conway of changing the world out there. And it raises the question, what is St. Peter's in an anxious, angry world? What is St. Peter's in an equally anxious and angry Conway? What would Conway be without St. Peter's? Think about it. Would its disappearance even be felt among Conway's hundred-plus churches? Would there be a place as inclusive as as St. Peter's a place where you're invited to think about and wrestle with the scripture, not wait to be told what it means. A place where mission work, like in Guatemala or the food pantry, is not an excuse to evangelize and convert, but just give. Be Christ-like. Where would our Monday night Buddhists, our Wednesday Tai Chiers, the Lantern Theater folks gather? Where would the arts be allowed to flourish like they are here? Would there be a place where progressive ideas can find their theological and scriptural grounding? A place where bad theology that's used to control and damage in other places is called to account for its sinfulness here and its victims given a place of sanctuary and safety? Would there be a place like St. Peter's? It reminds me of the classic movie It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, is shown a world where he doesn't exist by the angel Clarence and how bad that world would be. Imagine Conway without St. Peter's. What would it be like today? What would it be like tomorrow? As I've said up here before, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. We may be living with division and mistrust, separation, anxiety, and anger for a long, long, long time. Now, some of you have said you could just go to the one, of many, one of the many Episcopal churches in Little Rock, and you could. They are beautiful and run the gamut from traditional to contemporary services, from high church to low. But Conway's challenges aren't the same as Little Rock's. Neither are the opportunities. Why are you giving up so soon? Instead of warring over music and Christmas trees, what if we turn our eyes outward? How can we make our presence and our impact even stronger here in Conway, where we work to 
where we work to better equip ourselves to thrive in a world where we are the outsiders. And trust me, if you found yourself seated in these pews, chances are you, an out, you are an outsider. Spiritually, liturgically, politically, you're an outsider here in Conway, whether you like it or not. So welcome. What if we doubled down on our social justice work and became known in Conway as a place that calls out and challenges structural racism, income inequality, or Conway's hidden homeless? What if we sought to truly understand Conway's first responders, especially the police, to help expand their efforts to protect all of Conway, and not just the nice parts? What if we didn't just offer a college ministry, but if we offered the best college ministry in Conway? What would it look like? What would it do? What would your role be? What if more of Conway knew about St. Peter's and about what St. Peter's is and does? Would our pews be bursting or would there be protesters outside our doors? Both might be proud results of John's fruits worthy of repentance. What if St. Peter's lived into its countercultural essence, its status as an outsider? We've done it before. We were among the first churches in the South with a female priest, among the first to marry a same-sex couple. And more recently, even our politically conservative parishioners, and yes, there are some, have been known to proudly proclaim their love of a church with two gay priests to the shock and wonder of their conservative friends. We're known, I, I contend, as a pretty progressive-minded place in a sometimes hostile Conway. Upon learning of my church affiliation, State Representative Jason Rapert left my table at a Rotary gathering a couple of years ago. And speaking of Rotary, I've noticed that I'm never asked to lead the prayer at our Thursday noon gathering, despite wearing a collar. I think they're afraid of what I might pray for. <laughs> Upon learning of, uh, today I think we're being called to stand for what St. Peter's is. Which begs the question, what is St. Peter's? We're more than Catholic light, although we treasure our liturgical flair. We're often seen as sort of Methodist or sort of Presbyterian or Lutheran, but I think we're so much more than that. What is St. Peter's? For a stewardship campaign, you wrote adjectives like motivated, intolerant, supportive, caring, energetic, trusting, creative, and loving on the whiteboard that's still in the lobby. And when you think about it, those are all about being in the world out there. Now, this is not intended as a stewardship sermon, but you should know that right now, our number of pledges is at a 10-year low, with only 57 pledges so far, compared to 84 in pandemic plague 2020 and 103 in 2019. We can't be ourselves. We can't make a difference in Conway if we live in scarcity instead of abundance. If you haven't pledged because of some lingering anger or place of pain, please come see me. But I also invite you to consider whether you feel what you feel is part of the distress caused by the roaring of the sea and of the waves. We can't make a difference in Conway if we are tearing at each other and the church instead of what is going on outside our walls. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We need to prepare ourselves for a time of great challenge of baptism with Holy Spirit and fire, of winnowing and burning of chaff. Through our ordeal, we grow stronger. God's kingdom on earth goes, grows greater 
we are but in the birth pangs of a new beginning. These are the fruits worthy of repentance. This is the good news to the people. Reconciliation is a time of great leveling. It's a chance to make consistent the idea of God's kingdom and of St. Peter's irreplaceable, irrefutable part in helping realize that kingdom, that already inbreaking kingdom, not just within these walls, but out in this neighborhood, this community, this chaotic world. And as I said, St. Peter's has done this before. It's part of what St. Peter's is. We're a place that birthed a bishop, a presiding bishop, deans, and countless priests. Where a Supreme Court justice found home alongside a woman priestly pioneer. Where college presidents and administrators, teachers, professors, and students found a place to use their brains while sitting in the pew. A place of community leaders and social justice advocates making a difference in Conway and in the world. A place of nurses, doctors, healthcare leaders, and first responders. A place of serial foster parents and proud multiracial adoptees. And a place of outsiders of all flavors, types, and sizes, conservative and liberal. St. Peter's is a place to change Conway, to change Central Arkansas, to change the state and the country, and maybe even the world. But we have a choice. Do we fight with each other and gnash our teeth about the church, Peggy and me, the vestry, each other? Or do we get to work reconciling the idea of what St. Peter's is with the reality of an angry, anxious world? I think you can guess what I think. We have work to do. Conway needs us. Let's get started. The fruits worthy of repentance are all around us. And that's good news. Amen.